Welcome to your weekly sober analysis of past and present leadership failures and successes, all taken direct from the headlines and all in under 10 minutes. I'm your host, Hassan Sorrells, and welcome to Leader Buzz. When human beings are rewarded for creating, appealing, or manipulating the algorithms that run underneath our communications, marketing, and entertainment technologies, human beings will inevitably perform in those same ways outside of the box of the cell phone in your pocket or in your hand. Either one is good. Collectively, if we have our eyes open, we can see this tendency in the ways in which people create movies, television shows, and even stage plays in the never-ending postmodern now. In the West, we are currently in an era, and have been since the algorithms that run the internet have become more sophisticated, where art is no longer creative, but is instead, for the most part, dreck, written for the scanning and the consumption, not of human beings, but of the algorithm. Don't believe me? Well, I could pinpoint, or I could point, to the example of the Hollywood writer's strike, or the ideological manipulation of creativity to serve the creation of socially just utopias and popular entertainment. But instead of pointing at those obvious examples, and in an attempt to avoid hyperbole, I will read this excerpt from a think piece written by Hamilton Kane in The Atlantic in June 2023 about the life and the career of the late, great Charles Portis, he of True Grit fame. And I quote, For Portis, literature was a comic art, one that insists on laughter amid bloodshed and backroom swindles. His South is a circus of the dispossessed, teeming with con artists and broken farmers, carnival performers and fortune-telling chickens, Cars with ailing transmissions, guns, guns, and more guns. Portis's world is preternaturally violent, perhaps a legacy of the ruthless Scots-Irish settlers of the 18th century, but he sees comedy where other authors see tragedy, redemption where others see brimstone. Like McCarthy, he's attracted to vaudevillian absurdity, but he avoids McCarthy's moody existentialism. Portis knew his way around a car and a truck and a tractor. In 1964, he quit the newspaper business and decamped back to Arkansas to focus on his fiction. His subsequent novels and stories display his deep knowledge of machinery, rural life, and the eccentricities of his neighbors, but reflect everything in funhouse mirrors, bending and warping the familiar almost beyond recognition. He satirizes his fellow Southerners, incorporating their particular dialect, including its sometimes racist elements, into his craft, all while treating these characters with grace and even tenderness. Like his fellow Southern masters, Portis, despite his secular leanings, draws on Christian scriptures as well as Greek myths. He knows his Bible stone cold. On the cusp of the Great Depression, middle-aged Maddie Ross, the protagonist of True Grit, writes a memoir about her adolescent trek for justice with one-eyed rooster Cogburn, a trigger-happy federal marshal, and LaBeouf, a Texas ranger. Portis evokes the predilections and prejudices of his southern milieu through Maddie's voice, especially when she combs through granular distinctions between different Christian denominations. 
In the South, your church doesn't just indicate what your religious beliefs are. It can speak volumes about your zip code, manners, preferred restaurants, and cinema choices. When she meets a native woman in the bush, Maddie says, the Indian woman spoke good English, and I learned to my surprise that she too was a Presbyterian. Maddie is oblivious to her own prejudices, a fact that Portis manipulates subtly rather than casting his characters as overt bigots. Portis lets them expose themselves with off-the-cuff asides. Close quote. The algorithm that pushes a person, a person, search results, images, TikTok videos, and even pushes content on YouTube... The algorithm that even pushes images, texts, and videos based on learning, tracking, and surveilling all the ways in which multiple individuals behave online. The algorithm started by humans and driven by machines and fed by human behavior and juiced with money from human hands would never pick the writing of a guy like Charles Portis. And thus, Charles Portis would never, in our current milieu, be a writer. And he's just one example. The fact is, people, individuals, are no longer immune to the outsized effects of algorithmic programming, which means that humans are going to have to choose to write, talk, and think, and even behave increasingly in ways that demonstrate they are Pinocchio, dangling from the strings, thread into their minds, their hearts, and their hands by Google, Facebook, and others. Being a real boy, or even a real leader, requires recalling the terror behind the lyrics to the song that Pinocchio sang to a cheering, syncophantic audience all those years ago. I've got no strings to hold me down, to make me fret or make me frown. I had strings, but now I'm free. There are no strings on me. It'll take, I estimate, around 100 years for us in the West to break the strings of the algorithms and to uh, flatten the curve of the virus of algorithmic behavior whose fever we are currently in the grips of. Leadership in the next hundred years will remain human to human, fundamentally. There are some things even the algorithm can't touch. And after all, human beings still only buy ideas or objects uh, from other people that they know, like, and trust. But... The puppets who are leading the people, and they may not even know they're puppets, must become aware. They must waken up, and they must cut the algorithmic strings and begin to behave in unpredictable, kitschy, unique, and quirky ways that will defy the algorithm and potentially break it, and will upset the apple cart of faux stability and a vanilla sense of purpose that the wielders of those puppets truly fear. Leaders, we are in a race against time, wealth, and bad actors to flatten the curve of algorithmic control being foisted on us without our permission, but indeed with our quiet acquiescence, and to regain our hold on what it means to be truly human. I recall the words of Psalm 91, as I'm sure Charles Portis before me would have, from that other hoary old book that continues to defy the flattening of the algorithm, the King James Bible. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. 
He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And well, that's it for me. <laughs>